Well, we welcome you. This is part 14 in our series, Heroes of the Faith. And so I'd like you to begin by just someone at your table. Would you turn to them and literally point at them and say, you are a hero of the faith. And then would you please say, in the making, in the making. And that's so true. We are all heroes of the faith in the making. And that's kind of what we've been discovering as we've been working our way through the book of Acts. We see in this book that, that God raises up just ordinary people and uses them in extraordinary ways. And I'm sure that they never thought they would become a hero of the faith. And one day, 2,000 years later, we'd be preaching about that. And it's the same in our lives as well. God wants to raise you up in your setting, in your family, in your uh, situation to be a hero of the faith. And we have all of these examples in Scripture that we're looking at. And, and the key Scripture, really, for the whole book of Acts is Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where it says, you will be my witnesses. It doesn't say they. You're included in that. We're called to be his witnesses today and as we rise up to be his witness, we're, we become a hero of the faith. And so this morning, we're going to come face to face with this really cool story. I love this story. I used to love it as a kid. I love it as an adult. The miraculous escape of Peter from prison. And as we look at this, we're going to see another hero of the faith trait arise, which is so needed in our lives. Any believer, yourself included, myself, we can live out this trait in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord wants us to live it out. So let's begin by reading this account of Peter's miraculous escape. And as we go along, we'll point out some things. And then we will spell out our hero of the faith trait after we complete our reading. So we are in Acts chapter 12, we're reading verses 1 to 19. Okay, Acts 12. It was about this time that King Herod, now this is King Agrippa I, this is the great-grandson of Herod the Great. This King Herod, he arrested some who belonged to the church. This is in Jerusalem, intending to persecute them. Now, Herod was a politician, and he was always out trying to win the favor of the Jews, to keep the peace, and so what better way to win the favor of the religious Jews than to arrest the apostles of this new movement called the Way, which would become known also as Christianity. And so we had James, the brother of John, and this is James, the son of Zebedee, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. I mean, how better? to just earn uh, the favor of the Jews back then by now not only seeing James, a lesser apostle, executed, but wow, the great Peter. To see him executed, how much more favor would that earn? This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. Now that's a festival that lasts eight days. And so Peter is arrested there is no trial, there should have been, but he's arrested, thrown in jail, put him in prison, Herod did. 
handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Now, normally, you just have one squad on a prisoner. But Peter, a super high-profile prisoner, Herod did not want him to escape four squads of soldiers. And then and Herod intended to bring him out for public trial, which would have been a mock trial. The, the conclusion would already have been in mind. He's going to be executed. But regardless, to make a show of this and to earn political favor with the Jews, they were going to bring him out after the Passover. So we're talking a year has gone by. Remember what happened at the last Passover. An incredible miracle. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before the Passover, Peter was to be brought to trial. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two, two chains. So he's got a soldier to his right, soldier to his left. He's in prison, deep in prison, and literally chained to one prisoner on one side, the other on the other. And sentries stood guard at the entrance of that cell gate that locked them in. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord, probably Gabriel, appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. It appears that the guards were kept from seeing this. Whether they were sleeping, we're not told or not, but it appears that supernaturally they were prevented from seeing any of this happening. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and your sandals, Peter. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. I mean, can you imagine this? He thought he was seeing a vision. He thought this is a dream. This is like too good to be true. They passed the first and second guards and then came to the iron gate leading to the city, to the gate of the prison, literally to freedom. And it opened for them by itself. That must have been incredible. And they walked through. When they had walked the length of one street or like a block, suddenly the angel just, boom, leaves Peter. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know that without a doubt the Lord has sent his angel to rescue me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. His execution. Verse 12. When this had dawned on him, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. So there's this prayer meeting going on at Mary's house, the mother of Mark. Peter knocked at the outer entrance at the door, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed, and she ran back without even opening the door and explained, Peter's at the door, and they're praying for Peter inside. You can see him holding hands, praying for his escape. Verse 15, you're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, well, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking him. I mean, is that great or what? Peter's just knocking away. And when they opened the door, they saw him, and they were, what, astonished. 
Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet, and he described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James, which is the half-brother of Jesus, and the other brothers and sisters about all of this, he said, and then he left for another place. He got out of Jerusalem. We're not sure where. Well, in the morning, <laughs> there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. Can you imagine that? After Herod made a thorough search and did not find Peter, he cross-examined the guards and he ordered that they would be executed. Wow. Brutal. Let me give you our hero of the faith trait this morning. Here it is. One of the most heroic things you can do is to earnestly pray for God's servants. You see, the hero of the faith in our story this morning, it's not Peter. It's not even the angel Gabriel. We assume that is the angel. The hero is God, but it's also the faithful believers who are earnestly praying for Peter, God's servant. Look again at verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for Peter. And then you go down to verse 12. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. I mean, it's an incredible miracle, but undergirding and bringing about the miracle is the prayer of God's people for Peter. Wow. What if these believers decided to not pray? Ah, Peter. I mean, he's an apostle. He's awesome. He doesn't need our prayers. I don't know. We just know that they did pray, and God answered their prayer in this instance. You know, one day when we get to heaven, I think we're going to be surprised at who is there and also who is not there. I also think we're going to be surprised at who receives the greatest rewards in heaven. Who received the greater reward? Will it be Billy Graham or the woman who daily prayed for Billy Graham's ministry? I'm being really brutally honest with that. Think about it deeply. Is Billy Graham going to get the greater reward? Or is it the woman who prayed for Billy Graham day in and day out? You know, we look at Scripture in Luke 21, verse 3. It's on your outline. Jesus said this, Truly, and Jesus always spoke the truth. Truly, I tell you this, poor widow has put in more than all the others. I'm trying to give you a few scriptures that just talk about the value system of Jesus Christ and God. This is an account where Jesus is at the temple and he's looking at the treasury and he sees all of these rich people putting in, you know, a little bit of what they have. And then he sees this woman humbly walk up and put in two small copper coins. And Jesus says, that's greatness. The heart. Luke 16, 15. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. God's value system is completely different than ours. This is the words of Jesus. What people in the world value as high is detestable to God. What do people value today? Beauty? 
brains, bucks, popularity, and performance. I used to preach that sermon when I was in high school as a pastor. That's what the world says. If you have that, you're valuable. That's detestable in God's sight. God looks at the hearts. It's the hearts that he sees as valuable. <clears throat> uh, look at Matthew 23, 12 there. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's a powerful scripture. You see, greatness in the kingdom of God is this, humility. And watch this. There is nothing more humbling than praying. Nothing. Greatness in the kingdom of God is someone who prays. That is a hero of the faith. In God's kingdom, humility is what receives the greatest reward. And there's nothing more humbling than praying. That is a hero of the faith. It's a trait of a hero of the faith. If you earnestly pray for God's servants, great will be your reward in heaven. Wow. Here's a fact. Believers who earnestly pray for God's servants are heroes of the faith. You know, it, that, it's easy to say, but it's not easy to live out. Our lives, they get so caught up with ourselves. All we do is tend to think about ourselves. And then when we pray, watch this, we tend to pray about ourselves. But heroes of the faith are those that, yeah, you pray for yourself, but you are caught up in praying for others, especially the servants of God, like Peter. If you're a believer who's earnestly praying for others, God's servants, who have dedicated their lives to serving God on the front lines. I'm talking pastors, missionaries, church planners, those who have given their lives to take the gospel here and around the world. If you are praying for those kind of people, like we see here in the book of Acts, that is heroic. Great will be your reward. Great will be your reward in heaven. Praying for God's servants... That is a mark of a hero of the faith in God's kingdom. Listen to how many times we're called to pray for God's servants in Scripture. This is a, such a short sampling. But study prayer. Study the Bible, the New Testament. Every time we are exhorted to pray, and, and then see who we are called to pray for. Just look at this. Romans 15, 31 pray that I may be kept safe from unbelievers. Paul said that. We're called to pray for those that are taking the gospel into areas that are unreached because they could be endangered by doing so. Ephesians 6.19, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. You and I are called to pray for those who are fearlessly making known the gospel here and around the world. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 3. Devote yourselves to prayer and pray for us too, 
that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. We're to pray for those who are seeking to go through doors to bring the gospel into areas where it's not yet been shared. You look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.25, brothers and sisters, pray for us. These are servants of God that are on mission. 2 Thessalonians 3.2, pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. Those are the kind of people we're praying for. One of the most heroic things you can do is to pray for God's servants, especially for those who are dedicated to taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Hmm. I like you to talk about this, and then we're going to dive into this. But do you know someone who is an example of someone who earnestly prays for God's servants here and also around the world? God's servants who are serving around the world. Is there someone in your life who just their life is an example of engaging in prayer for God's servants? Would you talk about that at your table? Go for it. So if our hero of the faith trait today is heroes of the faith earnestly pray for God's servants, how can I develop that in my life? I mean, how can I develop a prayer life that is like this? And I think there's a lot we can learn from these heroes of the faith right here in Acts chapter 12. We don't even know their names. We don't know one of their names. One day, one of the things that I just think is so cool, we're going to meet all these people in heaven. One day we're going to meet these people that literally made it into Scripture and, and served as heroes of the faith for us 2,000 years later as we're looking back at their lives. You know, I wonder if the Bible were written today and people read it 2,000 years in the future, what would they say about us? What would be worthy of our lives that would be put into Scripture? We're just a continuation of these normal people that God used and raised up. And there are some in here that are absolutely passionately committed to this kind of earnest praying. You move my life. Sometimes I think you, you look at what I do, and I know many of you have come up to me and said, Mark, I just can't believe you know, what, what you do around the world. And I, I look at you and I go, I just can't believe what you do. Some of you, I mean, we're just called to be who God has called us to be. Use the gifts that he's given us. So please, don't look at what I do. What you do in praying is far greater than what I do in going. Prayer is the greatest thing you can do for the kingdom of God. Without question, I can make such a great argument in Scripture about that. Greatness in the kingdom of God, you know, it's humility. And it's truly believing that earnest prayer is powerful, and it is. So let me give you some encouragement this morning. Let's look at these four characteristics of heroic prayer for God's servants. I mean, how can you become this? Number one, heroic prayer for God's servants is individual and corporate. I look at verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now, the church that's referenced there, this was a house church. 
owned by a woman named Mary, who was the mother of John Mark. John is his Hebrew name. Mark is his Greek name. And we're going to study him later in the book of Acts. Mary was John's, John Mark's mother, and Barnabas was John Mark's cousin. So Mary was also the aunt of Barnabas. They're getting the whole family. Uh, but it, it appears like she had no husband, or at one point she did, but he, she's probably a widow. But with a home large enough to accommodate a, a house church. And at this time in Jerusalem, the first century, there were only house churches. Please understand, it's not till the third century that we even have a physical church that is ever even recorded, like with a cross on it. There were, it, it was all a house church movement. And by the way, the greatest movement on planet Earth today is not a church with a cross on it. It's the house church movement. It always has been throughout Christian history. We just happen to be living in a country where churches are legal. And so we have them all over. But the majority world, the church is in a house. The church is God's people. It's not a building. But word had obviously gotten out that Peter had been arrested and put in prison by Herod. And believers, no doubt, were praying for Peter individually. But Mary said, hey, let's get together and let's together corporately, let's pray for Peter that God will watch over him because they already heard that James had been executed. And so you've got all these people that are individually as well as corporately praying for Peter. So maybe a question for you, are there times that you individually by yourself, but also collectively with your spouse or with your family, or even here next Sunday, we'll have a, a community-wide prayer meeting. Then we cry out for God's servants around the world. Are you participating in that type of praying, individually praying for God's servants, but also collectively? That's a trait of a hero of the faith. Whenever you pray for God's servants, it's heroic. Now, individually, just in my own life, uh, I, I yeah, it's I pray for God's servants, all our pastors by name, at this church. And then I, I tend to think in concentric circles. This is how I'm visual. And so just so you know, in my quiet time, I pray for dozens and dozens of people, maybe into the hundreds. But it starts with, you know, my family. Then I think of the neighborhood and this church and other churches. And then I just go all the way around the world. In a week, I will cover, cover all 195 countries on planet Earth praying for people that I know in those countries. Now, this is God's call in my life as a, mission, as a missions pastor, but this has been part of my life to pray for God's servants. And I have a long way to go, believe me, but, but every believer needs to develop a pattern, a manner in which they learn to pray for those who especially are called to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, as well as bringing the gospel here. We need to be praying for the pastors of three crosses. Do you know their names? Are you praying for them? And not just the pastors, those who volunteer. We need to pray for one another because we're all involved in this together. But is this part of your life, part of your discipline? Every believer needs to develop that. Tracy and I, I think I've shared this with you before. If you're married, you are missing out if you're not reading the Bible and praying with your spouse 
every day. You are so missing out on the joy of what it means to just walk with Christ. Carve out that time. If you're not married, find a partner, someone, a friend that you can do that with. It's powerful to pray corporately and individually. And we need to be experiencing both. That is heroic in our lives. And it's a challenge because guess what? We tend to be about ourselves. And it just shows kind of how selfish we can be and how far we have to go. And I have a long way to go there as well. Number one, heroic prayer for God's servants. It's individual and corporate. Second is this. Heroic prayer for God's servants is earnest. You look at verse 5 again, it says, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Earnestly. Wow. So are there times that you engage in earnest prayer for God's service? Servants. The, the word earnest is the adverb ektanos. It means constantly and with intensity. It's a Greek word that, that is used to describe Jesus' prayer in the garden. Some of you have been with me in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we talked about this in detail. The Garden of Gethsemane means pressed. It comes from wine pressed. And, and, and Jesus was pressed in every way imaginable, and he's crying out in this agonizing prayer, Luke twenty-two forty-four, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. There it is. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. What a picture for how we as Christians, heroes of the faith, should be praying with this kind of intensity. And I shared a while back ago when my life was changed, when I went and saw the Chinese church for the first time, I got up at 4 a.m. and I saw them praying on their knees with their face to my, the ground, and I, that changed my life, literally changed my life. It changed my prayer life. I have never heard such, such intense crying out in prayer in my entire You hear the Chinese pray one time, your life will be changed. And that's why you need to go. You need to go on a missions trip. Of all my years in discipling people, the greatest discipleship experience you will ever have is when you go on a missions trip. It will accelerate your discipleship a hundredfold. And you see God's people in other countries, the way they worship, it is powerful. Powerful. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray continually. That kind of gets at this earnest, passionate prayer. Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer. Wow. We are devoted to work, which we should be, but we should also be devoted to prayer. Here is the faith are, and it's passionate. Uh, when you become aware of a need in one of God's servants, like at times we share, uh, many of them are persecuted. Are you praying for them? Do you go deep into prayer for their lives? I'm very blessed to have born, been born uh, into a family that is a praying family. My mom is one of the greatest examples of prayer I know. And her grandmother. Passion. When I, when I came to Christ in July 27, 1981, I was so far from God, but Jesus so changed my life. The next day, the first phone call I made was to my great-grandma in Miles City, Montana. Intuitively, I knew she'd been praying for me my, my whole life. 
And I say, Grandma, your prayers have been answered. I have surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. That's, I thank God that I come from a line of those who have earnestly prayed. There are times that I remember as a high school student, I don't know if my mom's here this morning, she dropped me off. She knew I was going to go out and party. And just before I would go out and leave and get ready to go party, she'd go, I'm praying for you, Mark. Just ruined my whole night. There are times that I have to watch what I share with my mom because uh, there isn't a week that goes by without me hearing a report. We support 16 countries. All of them are persecuted. I hear weekly about beatings, imprisonments, torture of our pastors. Many of our pastors, some who you have their profiles are in prison right now, right now, for their faith. And they are, when you go to prison in these countries, they deprive you of food, they torture you, and they try to get you to deny Jesus Christ. And so there's times that I've told my mom about these things, and she will not, she will pray the entire night without even sleeping, the whole night. That's greatness in the kingdom of God. So I have to watch what I share with her. I don't tell her all those stories anymore. Some of them. I'm not like that. Not that degree. But I cry out to God in earnest prayer. There are many times I'm flat on my face, tears in my eyes in my study. With I have a globe that's right out, and I'm, my hands are lifted up to that globe and I just cry out to God. Of course. Of course I should. And so should all of us. Earnest praying. That's what we see in Jesus. We see it in the apostles. We see it in many of your lives. Thank you for being a prayer warrior. Many of you are like this. And uh, I thank God for you. And we all do. When we work, we work. When we pray, God works. That's why we pray. It unleashes the power of God. Let me give you a third characteristic of heroic prayer. Heroic prayer for God's servants is personal by name. Now you look at chapter 12, verse 5. Again, it says, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. For him. So the question becomes, are there times that you pray for God's servants literally by name? If so, you're a hero of the faith. And, and these believers, you see, they were calling out to God for Peter. By name, they were calling out for Peter. Paul said, pray also for me. And the Ephesians were praying for Paul by name. What a wonderful thing to pray for people by name. It, it, is that part of your life where... where God's servants, those that God impresses on your life, are you're learning their names. You're writing a prayer list of those that you can lift up because as you pray for them, you are part of their ministry. You're beyond a part of their ministry. You are the heartbeat of their ministry. Yes, you may not be able to travel. I mean, I say, 
Go to all these countries. Yes, you may not be able to, but you are through your prayer life. And if you can go, you should go. But as you pray, you are going. Um, one of the great things that uh, you receive when you support one of our church planners is you get their profile. And so you get their name, you get their testimony, you get, you know, the, the, how you can pray for them, prayer requests. And then on top of it, you get an email from me once a month giving you an update on where that pastor is serving in that country so you can continue to pray. So you're having a global impact and ministry in prayer. So, you know, we encourage you to support a pastor so you're in on this kind of dynamic. That is super helpful. Do I have a picture of uh, Cuba here, a pastor? Oh, so this is Hilda Lisa. She looks uh, pretty intense right there. But believe me, she, it just, when I took the picture, but this woman is such an example of prayer. It, this will sound strange, but every time, I've known her for like 20 years. She is a dear saint of God. And uh, every time I see her, the first thing she does, she comes up to me, she grabs my hand, and she puts it down to her knee. And I feel her knee, which are all calloused. And she wants me to know, I, she's like, Mark, I pray for you. She prays for me every day. Right there, she is showing you one of three cards. Those are stacks of cards of the names of people she prays for. She gets up every morning at 3 a.m. and prays until sunrise. But not only her, because of her example, there are now 20 people in her church that get up every morning, actually six days a week, not, not on Sunday, and they start praying, and they all have callous knees. They have lists, and that one right there is the list of my, our family and our names and all that. And I'm just like, it, it just blows me away. Every movement of God on planet Earth where God is miraculously at work in the world, is, it's, it's a, it starts with prayer and fasting. I mean, God's people just praying and fasting. And if I could tell you this, I, if there's anything I could do different in my spiritual life, is I wish 30 years ago I was into praying and fasting. Tracy and I pray and fast together every single week. We seriously are committed to this, and it has absolutely revolutionized our life, our ministry, our family. Everything is changed. And I'm, 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 we're excited to go deeper and deeper and deeper in prayer and in fasting. And one day when I can't travel, I'm going to pray, I'm going to fast, because that is the power of it all. Everywhere I go, I see this happening around the world. Why isn't it happening in the United States? How many people are getting up at 3 a.m. and praying and fasting for this church until sunrise? How many people show up to that prayer meeting? 60, 70 at our church on a Sunday night. Wow. We're just not desperate for God. Oh, I could go off, but I'm not. <laughs> um, by the way, one of the things, too, that I would encourage you with, because sometimes, like, Mark, I need help to just pray. This book I've given out by the hundreds, Pray for the World. It's the number one most read book that I have 
at my availability, takes you through every country in the world, tells you how to pray for that country. You'll get to know the world. Americans, I have to say this, they're ignorant of their geography. They just don't know the world that Jesus died for. Seriously. It's like, we, we're all about us, but we think we're it. And it's like, we don't even take the time to understand these countries and what God is doing there. This will help you. It'll help you to understand the world and pray for the world in a way, not only, you know, by, by name, but also with earnestness and that sort of thing as well. So hopefully that will encourage you. Heroic, you can buy it in the bookstore. Oh, this is by uh, it's Operation World, Patrick Johnstone. Patrick Johnston, Pray for the World. We've got it in our bookstore. And uh, yeah, you come through Seminar 401, I give you a free copy. A while ago, I gave everyone a free copy in our whole church. Uh, but maybe you were there on that Sunday. Let me give you a fourth character trait of heroic praying. And it's this, heroic prayer for God's servants comes with astonishment, like they are right there. Yeah. So if you're watching that on tape, some girls just really got astonished. So, you know, the observation is this, is that if you pray for God's servants individually and collectively and earnestly and by name, there's going to come a time, watch this, when you will be astonished by what happens. Wow. So, because heroic prayer unleashes the supernatural power of God. So this group of believers, I mean, this is absolutely so funny in many ways, but yet it's so typical of our lives as well, mine included. So they're praying in a prayer meeting for Peter. What happens? God decides, I'm going to answer the prayer. Sends an angel to Peter in prison, strikes him on the side. Peter gets up, the chains fall off. Peter puts on his clothes, his sandals, follows the angel out through the door. He thinks it's a dream, Peter does himself. I mean, Peter is astonished. They pass the first and second guards, come to the main prison gate. It opens by itself. Peter finds himself walking out with his angel, and all of a sudden, boom, you know, in verse 11, the angel leaves him. Peter comes to himself and says, Now that I know without a doubt the Lord has sent his angel to rescue me, he goes to the house of Mary, and they're literally inside having a prayer meeting, crying out for Peter. Peter starts knocking at the door, and Rhoda, the servant, is closest to the door, and they're holding hands. You can just picture them, and someone says, Hey, don't they know we're praying in here? Can you please get the door, Rhoda, and tell them to be a little quiet? You can imagine this. Rhoda gets the door, and she comes back and says, It's Peter. It's, they're like, No way. That's got to be his angel. And all of a sudden, Peter walks in. They're astonished. And then Peter tells them the whole story. They're even more astonished. They're going, Are you kidding me? God answered our prayer? I love it. What I've noticed is this. When you start praying earnestly for individuals by name, corporately, God starts showing up. And I'm miraculous things through that kind of prayer that surprises you. I'm going to share something radical, but if you're not seeing miracles in your life, it's because you're not praying and fasting. There are miracles I see all the time. I could spend, I'll spend as long as we can right now, just tell you miracles when I've been absolutely blown away 
because of prayer. Can I tell you some stories? Amen. And this is just meant to encourage you. And I, I know I'm preaching this a little bit, you guys, but I'm just learning myself. Hmm. Remember being in Cuba. <clears throat> We're driving. And one of the most exciting things I love when we travel is just what we call drive-by blessings. We pray, and we say, God, lead us to someone who just needs to be blessed. And I remember we saw this, this really run-down church that had a cross on it. And we thought, let's, let's just go in there. So we drove up to this, you know, dirt road. And uh, <clears throat> we get out, six of us get out of our van. And we walk up, knock on the door, no answer. Then we walked inside the church. And there are the, all these, these Cubans huddled praying. They're praying. All of a sudden, they look up, and here we are. And through a translator, we're like, we find out that they have been praying right then and there. They had a VCR, they had a, a, a tape of the Jesus film, and they're like, God, we want to show this as an outreach, but we have no VCR and we have no TV. And we came in, and they're like, who are you? And I said, God led us here because we're here to help you with what you need. And they said, we were just praying for a VCR and TV. I said, how much does it cost? We gave them the money. Boom. And we just kept going our way. We're in Bangladesh. Tracy and I are on our way. This time, just her and I. And whenever you travel with me, you know, we always bring gifts. But we always pray. Just say, God, just what do you want us to bring? And so first time we're into Bangladesh, and we decide, okay, let's bring <clears throat> 35 backpacks. That's all we could fit in our suitcases. And just felt like this is the first time we ever brought backpacks, but let's bring them. And then also, let's bring 206 Beanie Babies. These Beanie Babies, Tracy knew a gal, and she was being touched by missions, and she was just like, well, you know, Beanie Babies, I used to, I, I bought them for like 20 bucks back then, and now they're worth nothing? She's like, could you take the, my Beanie Baby, you know, collection? I mean, and we said, of course, we'll take them and give them away. We'll just trust God. 206 of those. So these are the gifts we go with. So we show up not knowing how many pastors, how many kids, nothing. And we're in this meeting, and it's the, that's the last day, we're two days training, and that's the last day, <clears throat> and, and we bring out the gifts. We go, it's been an amazing time to be with you, and, uh, and this is a picture of the guys, by the way. And so we, we, we filled the backpacks with these C's shirts also. I gave them C's candy. C sponsors all the trips I go on. Thank you, C's Candy. And uh, so we brought in these backpacks. And as we pass out the backpacks, there are 35 pastors. There was, now this is the story though that's amazing. I didn't know this was happening until after. The main pastor, in December, all these guys got together for a meeting knowing we were coming in January. And they said, Pastor B, can you please tell Pastor Mark, when he comes here in January, could he please bring us a backpack? We could really use a backpack for our ministry. Pastor B, these are super poor guys. He felt it was too extravagant of a thing to ask me for backpacks. And so he never did. The Holy Spirit led us to bring 35 backpacks, one backpack for every one. We didn't even know the number. And every, these pastors 
could not, they were like, Pastor B, thank you for telling him. He's like, I never did. <laughs> now that's not only, that, that does, it gets better. Because the next picture is all these kids that show up. There were 206 kids. 206 to the number that got a beanie baby. Is that what God does or what? I have so many other stories that I could share with you, but I'm looking at the clock. And uh, can I tell you one more? Okay, I know I'm going, you got to give me a couple more minutes then maybe. So Russia, this one blew me away. I'm in Siberia in a place called Vladivostok. The Iron Curtain just fell. We went in, and it was one of the most amazing things I'd ever seen. Seventy years, those in Russia were told, there is no God. And then we came in preaching there is a God. The hunger and openness to what God did on this trip, I've never seen anything like it. It was like 98% of the people everywhere we went trusted in Christ. And we went to just show the Jesus film into public schools. And before, we would actually share the Jesus video, all the administration, the, the principals and everyone would invite us to have a personal meeting with them. I'd preach the gospel there. Almost virtually all of them trusted in Christ as Savior and Lord in that meeting. And then we showed the Jesus film in public school after, we had three public schools every day with packed auditoriums and virtually everyone just crying out to God uh, for salvation. It was unbelievable. And finally, we're realizing the schools aren't big enough. We started renting out movie theaters and, and the principals were busing kids to the movie theaters that were larger so we could have bigger showings to show. It was just, it was unbelievable. So the last day, we had to fly out that night. Uh, and, and my heart was broken because in Vladivostok, I believe it was like 2.3 million people. And I'm like, God, how is it that so many millions that are so open cannot hear the gospel? And we had... It was all real to real in the schools, but we had one VHS copy of the Jesus film. And, and so my buddy, Steve, and I began praying, and I just got this kind of, it was Holy Spirit led. I was like, Holy Spirit. I go, could we get this VHS tape to the network? There was only, it's Russia, communist. There's only one station. I go, is there a way we can get this to whoever it is that runs the TV network here. And our translator had left by then. This is at the end of our time. And I'm like, Steve, let's get in a taxi and let's go. We get in this taxi and the taxi driver doesn't speak English. And I'm just like, go, drive. God's going to lead us. He take, brings us down into town, into downtown. And I just see like a bunch of lights. And it, it seemed like there was some sort of a movie theater there or whatever. I'm like, stop here, wait for us. Steve and I get out, and we walk into this room. We're praying, God, lead us. And there's this woman, I remember, she's just all dressed in a nice, you know, outfit and barely spoke any English. I, I, I was showing her the, the, the v, VHS tape, and I'm like, is there someone I can talk to, you know, TV, that we can put this, I'm trying to, and she's like looking at me, got big old eyed. She takes me up an elevator, brings me into a boardroom, and there's a guy at the end with a suit on, and this guy managed the network TV 
only station in all of Vladivostok. And I'm explaining to him what we have been doing and what God's doing and uh, sharing with him the good news of Jesus. And I say, I have this tape. And he says, can I interview you on live TV tonight? And then we will show the entire uh, video. And I was like, are you serious? I go, that would be amazing. And I'm like, well, our plane leaves. But I go, I will give you the tape. He goes, I will show it. And I just, I, we walked out of there going, are you kidding me, God? This is what you do through prayer, through prayer. To God be the glory. You know, seriously, when we pray, earnestly pray, fasting by name, God shows up, the miraculous happens. Okay. Um, I'm just going to skip right to the end. Let me summarize with this. Heroic prayer for God's servants is individual and corporate. It's earnest, personal by name, and it comes with astonishment. One of the great traits of a hero of the faith is that we earnestly pray for God's servants. All right. Sorry I didn't fill in all the blanks for you. <laughs> Hopefully that won't keep you up tonight. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for just the privilege that we have of just talking to you. Lord, prayer. When we work, we work, but when we pray, God, you work. And I just pray, Lord, that you would take us where we're at by the hand and lead us into deeper prayer, not just for our lives, but for others by name. Intensely, we would pray. And maybe even join that with fasting. But God, it's one step at a time. I have so far to go, and I thank you, Lord, for how you're teaching me about prayer through servants like this that one day we're going to meet in heaven. And Lord, I pray that you would just move in our hearts, do something spiritual in our lives, even right now, that only your spirit can do. I believe there's a reason why, God, you have brought us here today. And it has something to do with this. And you're at work. You're speaking. And now would you just take a moment and talk to God about what he's talking to you about. He is wanting to meet you here right now and lead you forward. What is he saying to you? Take his hand and walk with him.